0: This is Giant. I got your visual.
1: Come here, Mike. I'm standing by you. Roger. I'll be there in a the couple of mics. In the meantime, give him help.
0: You are listening to the Men Among Men Stories podcast with myself, Hank from Fire Force Ventures, and Bindu. From the Men Among Men Stories podcast.
1: Huh? A corpse, or rather what's left of it, decomposes at the foot of a tree. A pile of ants, a leopard skin hanging over half eaten legs, and a bicycle frame stuffed with black powder and nails. A barbaric weapon that was obviously intended for us, but which, on a whim of history, put an end to the career of this handsome warrior whose exploits are the delight of readers of Quick in the Express fans of mercenary slaughters. The unfortunate thing is that, on closer inspection, the beard discovered in the pocket of the rebel's khaki shirt a red felt cross that was still attached to a scrap of a white cassock. This time I knew that we were on the right track, somewhere in this gigantic jungle of lianas and ferns, in these abandoned huts which stink of rancid palm oil and the rotten corpses of animals and men, Europeans lie in wait for deliverance. They are no longer afraid from having been utterly terrified, but in their distress, they still hope for a miracle. That miracle is us, and we're in deep shit, with three jeeps that, like the truck, don't want to start up, and the monkeys who hold up in their hideaways, plotting how they're going to debone our beautiful mercenary bodies, and offer my iron cross to Sumala. Once already, I had this impression of an inevitable gutting. It was in Denisovich, in Russia, my vehicle had suddenly run out of gas, in the middle of the Ibas, full of hidden partisans. The black sky and the white snow stung my reddened eyes, and the cold numbed my mind, my arms, and my hands. I felt I wouldn't even have the strength to pull the trigger when they came for me. In my frozen brain, the scenario of my massacre was precisely drawn, as if I were in a movie theater. But it has been twenty years since then. It's forty-five degrees in the shade, I'm below the equator, Bathing in a sticky sweat of red dust. My Iron Cross is still there, the partisans too, but my Fuhrer is no longer here to see this extraordinary spectacle. A Chelou commanding a Frenchman, a Belgian, and a Jew in a battle where we racists are defending a colored people against the little yellow men of the Red Revolution. It all adds up.
0: Who is this Chelou?
1: This Chelou is Mr. Siegfried Mueller. Uh, and that is an excerpt from his book, The New Mercenaries.
0: Wait, what is it, Chalut?
1: a chalou? A chalou is a not very nice term for a German.
0: Similar to a word that starts with maybe K. I yes. Know, K, I,
1: I think we S- can S- say kraut. I don't think anyone <laughs> I don't think anyone's <laughs> gonna ban us <laughs> for saying kraut. It's <laughs> like a
0: one word you still can't say. Or Bosch. Yeah. Chalou yeah. is um is just another term. Yes.
1: So yeah, this this is a uh Quite a special book that deals with a a conflict. I'm actually amazed it took us to episode twenty two to do an action to do an actual dedicated episode to because you and I talk about this one a lot and it's very related to the Rhodesian War and other conflicts of the time in Africa.
0: The new mercenaries. The new mercenaries. By Siegfried Mueller translated from originally from German to French because he was a. Uh, TLDR was a German Wehrmacht soldier who was awarded the Iron Cross in the Second World War, Uh, later became a member of the U.S. uh, Civilian Labor Group, or I believe it's called Civilian Labor Group, or he calls it like the Technical Air Force in West Germany, Um, doesn't join the Bundeswehr for political reasons, and ends up working Mm -hmm. in North Africa initially as a D-minor, and then... uh, 1964, 63, 64, 64. Opportunity comes knocking in a place called the Congo, where they're having a bit of a shindig. Yeah, uh, a major rebellion uh, with a group called the Simbas, and um, he is pictured there after meeting some German journalists, drinking a beer with his Iron Cross still on. The rest is history. Congo Mueller, it is like like uh, Bindu said, it's. A long time coming because it was, it's a pretty crazy conflict as far as Sub-Saharan Africa during the Cold War is concerned. In many ways, the battles in the Congo in the 1960s were the biggest in Africa since the Second World War, and they wouldn't really be matched until some of the operations of the South African Border War almost two decades later. These, uh, as I mentioned, involved groups of rebels called the Simbas, and we'll, we'll get into that history um, some often actually referred to by Mueller himself and, uh, one of his commanding officers, but who everybody listening probably knows or hopefully knows major, uh, Mike, mad Mike Hoare. mad Mike Hor. <laughs> At least he was a major when, when the conflict began, um, mm-hmm. later Lieutenant Colonel Hoare. He, uh. And Mueller referred to the Simbas oftentimes, as well as Mulalius after the leader of this rebel group Pierre Mulali. So the Congo has a pretty complex and yeah. difficult history, to say the least. There's there's a lot of um, there's still a lot of controversy, I guess, as of late that has uh, brewed up in terms of understanding how the country has kind of come to exist in its current state, where um, basically since this period, it's been in an almost constant state of war and crisis and conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, it was very much one of the most stable places in sub-Saharan Africa and had one of the most developed infrastructures of any European colonial holding in all of Africa, and yet, uh, well, stuff stuff goes shit yeah. goes down, as they say, as as uh, Siegfried Mueller puts it, we're we are in some shit, and yeah. um, that's that's kind of what happens to the Congo. So we'll talk a bit about that history. Um, we'll talk about Mueller himself again, as per our podcast. Normally, we highly recommend you actually read this book. Yeah, uh, it again, it just it's been recently. Uh, retranslated from French to German and German to uh, sorry, German to French and French to English for the first time in 55 mm-hmm. years, uh, it was published. Was it last year, 2021? Right?
1: Ah, uh, well, let's let's actually right at the
0: beginning, it's 2021. Yeah, 2021. Yeah, exactly. 2021. So and right in the middle of COVID, this thing was republished yeah. for the first time after 55 years. And I've been looking for an account for a very long time. When you brought this one to my attention, I was like, yes. I didn't know, because I didn't know he had an account. Now, I've personally read uh, the account of Major Mike Hor, who has a excellent work that we will be covering at some yes, point in the definitely. future. Yes, he, definitely. He's written two yeah, books. Yes. So, on uh, the... And Congo Mercenary and uh, The Road to uh, Kalimba. Road think, to Kalamata. Kalamata, sorry. Yep. The Road to Kalamata and uh, Congo Mercenary. There's probably a few others that I can't... Those are just the ones that I've Mm -hmm. been able to find and read myself. Um, So I'm familiar with the conflict. I'm familiar with uh, Five Commando that, you know, obviously Siegfried Mueller is involved in these mercenary groups operating in the Congo at the time. I wasn't aware that he actually had a memoir if we can even call it, it. we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that in a second yeah it's, we'll talk about the physical book it's, as well. not, it's not structured in a conventional in a yeah. sense um, but let, I guess for the purposes of brevity I'll, I'll call it a memoir um, called The New Mercenaries which originally was published in German uh, was translated at some point to French and finally after 55 whole years uh, we get an English language source Yep, with a French to English translation which we're very yes. grateful for we're
1: grateful to uh, Catacomb Archives, which is the publisher of these. I, we don't know much about these guys. We'll, we'll be honest. They've published two books. Uh, this they have one a proton
0: mail, so they must be based.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. This one and another uh, website. We, we've 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 uh, previously sort of done a bit of promotion of uh, Mister Grove on this podcast. Um, I know Mister Grove. I don't know these guys. I've known nothing what they're like. But this is a great. I'm really glad that they uh, published this book. So maybe show him some love and buy him a copy.
0: I've literally been over kind of like the last 10 years trying to scrounge. Because I heard of this guy about 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, almost a decade ago now. And I've been just trying to scrounge. Unfortunately, he passed away in the 1980s. So we have kind of 40 years of disconnect from when he was alive to, you know, reading these these primary source memoirs. Um, I've been looking... For about ten years, for something to this effect, I know he gave a lot of interviews. I know he was taken out of context in a lot of interviews. Uh, I mean, I've never, I couldn't imagine it myself. Yes, yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Context in in podcasts, especially. Yes, in incredible. TV. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that being said, um, I knew there was primary source stuff out there for Sigrid Mueller, who's this very interesting guy shows up in a pretty famous picture of him with a big goofy smile holding a beer with his iron cross. And you're just like, what the heck is a Wehrmacht right. guy uh, doing in in the Congo in the 60s yeah. as a soldier? Yeah.
1: Uh, There's another famous picture of him you guys want to see, which is actually on the cover of this book, where he's also there with his iron cross, but he's holding a traditional African spear and a, shield yeah, in a, both a, hands. And a
0: Sega and a spear. Yes. Sorry, sorry, and a Sega and a shield. Sorry, yes. and a and a spear. So, yeah. he's... Uh, Asagai? Asagai. Asagai. Asagai, yeah. Asagai. Asagai Spear and uh, a, um, probably either a Baluba Shield or a Simba Shield. It's not clear, but. Yeah. He is, uh, quite the character historically. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the movies that, one of my favorite movies, The Dark of the Sun, has a Nazi character inspired in some yeah. ways by him, a Captain he- yeah. Heinlein. Yeah. who is It was a very exaggerated. Yeah, was, yeah a, was a, was a, he
1: was kind of the bad guy of the film. Well, one of the bad guys.
0: Yeah, one of the... I think this... Is,
1: the Simbas are kind of the main yeah. bad guys, but he is kind of plays the role of kind of minor antagonist, yes. you can definitely say.
0: Anyways, um, that's with uh, Rod Taylor and... Uh, yes, yeah. Dark of the Sun's a great movie, yes. by the way. You guys should watch 1966. it. 1966. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't it 66 or 66? Yes, it's 1966.
1: 66. It, it was written... It was basically created not very soon after these events took place. Like a year. Yeah.
0: yeah. It had just, these events... Like the conflict
1: kind of just wound down. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So very interesting movie. Um, there's a super exaggerated Nazi who's like immoral to yeah. all hell, right? Yes. And very yeah. like two-faced and deceptive. Yes. Uh, and obviously there were efforts at the time to portray Mueller as uh, kind of like this evil, immoral Nazi who was just there yes. to basically kill black people in Africa, yeah. which is definitely not the case if you, yeah. you know, thanks to, like, a mem- primary source like this, we can get it from the man mm. himself. Yeah. There's obviously, um, with any primary source biography, the risk of, uh, self-aggrandizement or embellishment, um... I you know I we know for a fact a lot of Germans of his generation who served in the German well the Nazi military in some capacity, and I I'm not you know unfortunately with the, the way the world is today like I'm talking about real Nazis like actual Nazi yeah. Germany Nazis not not like Bindu and his scary podcast Nazis. <laughs> like real Nazis um, you know Adolf Hitler's military Adolf yeah. Hitler's war machine. This generation, uh, in, in the immediate aftermath of the war, was fighting for legitimacy, fighting for a place in West Germany, um, fighting for a place in the Bundeswehr, in the Bundesmarine, in the new reform Luftwaffe, yeah. uh, and also fighting for pensions. And, mm-hmm. um, the organizations such as uh, HIAG. Which Forum was the Ed- SS. Yes, yeah. the SS veterans, and there's a mm-hmm. bunch of other uh, Wehrmacht kind Of apologia groups that had formed in order just it was a pe- battle for legitimacy, pension to be put back into government to prove we were- either one thing I am fully denazified as an individual and we are as a collective, or uh, in the case of HAIG, the Nazis did nothing wrong, yeah. <laughs> so, or, or at least
1: like or, we weren't that bad, yeah, we, you we know, weren't, we weren't like that yeah, etc. etc. Exactly. Et exactly. et yeah, exactly. yeah guess,
0: so, yeah, so with that in mind, um his uh, Mueller his, his, his reputation has been dragged through the mud over uh the past yes. few decades if you go as of right now 26 June 2022 you go onto his wikipedia page you'll you'll see like it doesn't actually talk a heck of a lot about what he did throughout his life it only mentions like in congo he committed war crimes yeah and he was uh yeah, a Wehrmacht Iron Cross recipient, right? Yeah. So it looks, it looks bad if you look at it on a superficial level. At the time, the, the rumor mill about him was even more extreme. Um, there were, I guess, reports that he was an old SS officer, that he was wanted for war crimes, that he'd been rejected from the Bundeswehr, and uh, this and that, and he was just a terrible, awful, evil person, just like the movie character, Captain mm-hmm. Um, and there's yeah. definitely more to Kongo Mueller than meets the eye.
1: Obviously, you know, Mueller was a man of his time and he was somebody who served in the Varmok the and, you know, he had certain ideas and stuff, but using him, portraying him as this sort of stereotypical Nazi who just hated everybody who was Jewish, who was not white, is a complete and utter gross mischaracterization uh, of this man. Yes, and of many of the men who on came from both sides of World War II who fought in the Congo, as, yes. um, as, as well as mercenaries, but fought on behalf of the First Katanga then the Congolese government. Yeah, which uh, I well, guess is
0: well. Uh, again, as I mentioned, there's yeah. always because he's of the generation that is trying to defend le, the legitimacy, I guess, of the Wehrmacht um, of the German soldier of the German Let, soldier. Let's put it that way. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Yes. The German soldier uh he doesn't exactly mince words about some of the issues with uh well well number 1 like the idea of racism first yeah. like i i don't know if it's like intentionally he's he's trying to em- emphasize it more to legitimize himself but he does like emphasize many times like the idea of like scientific racism is exceptionally dumb and i do not believe in it i do not believe in like like racial superiority in any way. Right. Um, and to the contrary, like he seems to almost denigrate like Western society. Uh, and he, he's a, he's a big Orientalist, right? He loves Mm -hmm. like Arabic culture. He loves Africa. Is that the word? He's like, he's he's like an exotic. Yes.
1: Orientalist. yeah. Yeah.
0: He's an exotic kind of guy. His preferences are very exotic.
1: He spends a good chunk of the book uh talking about how beautiful black women <laughs> he meets are. So yeah.
0: Good chunk is an understatement. Yes. A lot of the yeah, books yeah. Is like, this black woman I saw was really attractive. Yes. So he Yeah, he, he had a he had a preference. Yes. He had a preference yeah. in life. Let's leave it yes. at that. Yeah. Um So
1: he's so, a complicated character, yeah, let's I, put it that way. I
0: don't get the vibes that he's just pulling like a Kurt Meyer or whatever, like Who's you know, Kurt Meyer? SS guy who killed Canadians on uh, in Normandy. So he wrote a thing, which was I believe called Panzer Commander, and he talks about how yeah. he fought on the Eastern Front, and then he he didn't kill any Canadians or whatever on shortly after D Day, despite like a lot of evidence, physical evidence, mm-hmm. uh, eyewitness evidence that he specifically ordered his troops to kill Canadian POWs. So. Um, that's like, that's one of the pretty famous accounts, uh, of, cause he got, he was one of the guys that kind of got Scott off scot free. So he had mm-hmm. an opportunity, well, as far as he can get off scot free as an SS commander, but he had an opportunity to write a book after the war. And it was a lot of like, I didn't do it. You know, the whole yeah. like OJ Simpson, if I did it, yeah, I, yeah. you know, it, it was, it was kind of like that. So uh, there was issues with his book. His book is one we should maybe consider covering. Maybe. It's interesting. Um, look into you know, it's, yeah, it's a very like controversial topic uh, but not in the way people think I think, it's just it's just like an exercise to kind of uh, gather truth from, like Mm -hmm. find the truth from fiction, right? Um, Whereas in Mueller's case, well number one, his upbringing is not exactly conducive to the typical uh, Nazi youth at the time he's kind of like Roped into it as yeah. many um, German children were at the time. Yeah, he's part
1: up. of a different organization. He, he's
0: not socialized into it, and yeah. his his family background is basically old Prussian, very old Prussian. Yeah. Um, and this weird Bavarian Austrian upstart guy Hitler yeah. is not. He's not really well respected <laughs> until like oh. Damn, he is uh, he is Fuhrer now. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. I, I guess. No, yeah,
1: and from from what I get from Mueller, j- just just being honest, like it's not necessarily that he's. And I get this from many Germans who served in the uh SS and then wrote memoirs. It's not that they necessarily regret their service. And I mean, we can think one way or the other about yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but they also. Yeah. A lot of them are like, yeah, we don't support, you know, what the Germans were doing to the Jews, or you know, this what this was done on the Eastern Front, or whatever. There, um, yeah. So I wouldn't say necessarily they've like rejected all their prior beliefs, but they're not chari- they're not walking caricatures. They're they're men of their time, but they they're more complex than that.
0: And I think Mueller is even more complex than the average German in many ways, yeah. just because he is a very he has very exotic tastes. Well, and also, yeah,
1: he he lived in Africa for quite a while, and that changed his. I think, yeah, yeah it well, probably yeah, would have the they, 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 living in a different place than yeah. your home country always changes somebody to some degree.
0: Since we're on the topic of Mueller himself, let's talk a little bit about his early life, and then we'll get into. All the events that kind of snowball into yeah. him eventually going into the Congo, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Congo mm-hmm. uh, not because it's, it's, it's yeah. a big controversial topic nowadays, but yeah, uh, yeah. as far as like the histori- historical field goes. But we'll talk about the Congo situation in the Congo in the 1960s, kind of what led up to that, and uh, eventually the liberation of Stanleyville, very yeah. kind of the climax of the book in many ways. Siegfried Mueller was born uh, uh, in October 1920. Uh, his father was basically a Pr- old Prussian, like old, old, old Prussian, um, who had an administrative post. Uh, a lot of his relatives had served in the military, as good Prussians do. So Siegfried Mueller suspects that the bulk of his ancestors had immigrated from either France or the Netherlands like likely the Netherlands and settled in Prussia during the reign of uh, Frederick the Great who was instrumental in making Prussia the land force in yeah America's a European power European powerhouse as far as having a really really effective army mm-hmm. um, and a very efficient proto-german state yeah. Uh, A lot of the the German traditions that we, I guess, we would associate with, I guess, the the Second Reich and the Third Reich, right, are very, very Prussian in nature. The idea of, like, goose-stepping, the idea of a kind of a, a... almost this detached Stoicism to everything is this very Nietzschean German like I I believe in strengths like that that idea is is Prussia yeah
1: the army sort of being central to the state in fact one person said Prussia is not a state with an army it's an army with a state exactly exactly Uh, and and the symbology like the eagles the iron crosses the Gott mit uns that's all Prussian
0: that's all Prussians so as good Prussians um, a lot of Mueller's family growing up had served in the military uh, his father was kind of like a military administrator at different points and uh after the first world war uh, had been greatly involved in the local government uh, obviously as a as a good prussian he joins a a kind of almost like boy scout martial organization yeah. called the Stahlhelm
1: yes the stahlhelm was a yeah, kind of organized. It was similar to the... It was linked to many of the Freikorps units in Prussia, but it was kind of its own thing as well.
0: Yeah, he joins us when he's like 12, so yes. the, the wing he joins is basically... Yeah, Boy it's Scouts. Boy
1: Scouts, yeah. Now, mm-hmm.
0: in the post-war period, the, by, by post-war yes. I mean after World War I, um, the German state was expected to be demilitarized. A new German republic had deposed the Kaiser. The Kaiser was living in an exile in the Netherlands. They were expected to be a Docile, chill country that did not cause any more problems for Europe. Uh, so, spoiler alert: that was wrong. <laughs> anyway, <okay>. So, <laughs> just. because of that, uh, there there were weird kind of idiosyncrasies with how these groups existed. Uh, they they paraded in kind of military fashion, but they weren't allowed to wear uniforms, so they had to wear ties to kind yeah. of identify each other. Which is which is kind of weird, but they, yeah, they kind of had to hide it initially. Yeah, um, and the the Stahlhelm generally was comprised at least the adult side of Great War veterans, guys that had served under the, in the Kaiser's army, that were oftentimes quite embittered by the loss of mm-hmm. the First World War and uh, ex- extremely embittered about the fact that it appeared that um, there were now socialists who didn't do a bulk of the fighting in the war that had kind of uh, screwed Germany over. and There there was a lot of um, Dolstoss, uh mythology, I guess. Yeah, the stab in
1: the back. The, 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 the idea back. that the German army had been not yes. been defeated in the field but had betrayed on the home front, which is not true. The German army was defeated in the field, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. there it is understandable why a lot of soldier returning soldiers were angry at the fact that the empire had collapsed and the Kaiser had been chucked out and a new quasi-socialist government, the SPD, had taken over yes. and they were not they were not happy with the new Germany. And the
0: economy sucks. Oh, yeah, Everybody the economy was, uh, was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was poor. Now yeah. it's one thing if you they somehow inherit like a good economy or whatever, but yeah. it, like everything sucked. Everything was expensive. There yeah. was hyperinflation. Uh, not too far in the in the future, or actually, like with it, by the time he's like five years old, there's like hyperinflation, yeah, all over Germany, where people are literally burning money, like because it's, notes, cheaper, it's than cheaper than fire than firewood. firewood. So it's it's a complete disaster uh, economically, and it's just one of many, many, many different kind of paramilitary organizations. Stalhelm, yes, uh, as the. A certain Austrian painter by the name of Adolf Hitler slowly claws his way to power yep. and uh, gains wider and wider electoral success. Um, he eventually takes over in 1933, whereupon all of the all of these like different paramilitary organizations, some of them openly Nazi, like openly like pro Hitler, not necessarily Nazis, but just like we are. Like, yeah. Like the Jews are responsible for all this. The communists are responsible for all this. And Hitler is totally right. Yeah. I, or he—he's yeah, the, the gonna best. It's going to be sound soundbited. By yeah, yeah. He's the best. <laughs> Actually, I should, uh, I should, you know, just in case that's ever soundbited. That's that's the um, that's the mindset of some of these groups. Yes, some of the yeah. groups were. Openly, like this guy's an upstart. We're old Prussian aristocrats, yeah. and other groups were ambivalent. So, you have yeah. all these groups just a lot of
1: people see he's the best choice for the time. Is kind of there. You know, like, there's a lot of like pragmatism yeah. to this early support of Hitler. I wanted to finish that sentence because before you were, well you were saying all oh, this, was just, I, I was trying to say that it yeah. just came out as he's the best. I really don't want that
0: to be on
1: the podcast of context
0: well yeah so in some groups though that was like yes like he is like a, like a demi. He's like oh a yeah bi- no there
1: are yeah but those are generally yeah. the nazis own groups these other yes. different groups many of which well, are nationalistic and ins- i would say are more pragmatic and supportive seen, of him
0: i've seen evidence that there were some like really anti-semitic groups that are like i you know i the oh American yeah no absolutely join them yes okay, so it's a, it's a kind of recurring trend. Uh, yeah. It, it's not like they're all radically different. I'll say that yeah. much. They're all kind of batten for the same team. It's just yes. how much do they actually like Hitler yeah. himself? Yeah,
1: um, or or the NSDAP the as NSDAP. a party. Yeah.
0: So a lot of these groups get incorporated under initially the establishment of the SA, uh, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. Sternma batalum Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> which was uh, the, the brown shirts that we all we all know and love that yeah. go in the streets and beat people up, right? So they were kind of the political muscle that allowed Hitler to kind of rise to power on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, 1934 rolls around right after he takes power. The essays politically neutered because they become something of a threat to Hitler. Yeah. I mean it just it happens whenever you have any authoritarian government. Um, taking over the those that help said authoritarian leader come to power are generally the first to get purged. Yeah, because they're revolutionary. And yeah. you, you can't have revolutionaries when the revolution's done. Yeah, so uh, they are purged. Ernst Rom, Knight of the Long Knives. A lot of individuals are purged, including uh, Mueller's father, who's at well, he's not purged per se. But he is immediately placed under arrest shortly after this because, again, he is a little—he is not pro-Nazi. He's part of this like right-wing, old, aristocratic Prussian establishment. Uh, But obviously, the 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 Nazi regime recognizes we can't just off everybody. Yeah, we need some people to be. You know, we need to just jostle some people around. Yeah, you know, they'll be they will be a baton for this... Just to remind them, you know, what yeah. team they're on, right? What yes. team they want to be on. So that's yeah. just kind of what happens to... Gangster politics. Yeah, gangster politics. Yeah. Siegfried's dad gets chucked in jail for a few very tense days. And by jail, it would have been a concentration camp at that point. So mm-hmm. pretty darn tense. Yep. Yeah. Um, he is released, but, you know, he kind of plays the part of a good Nazi after that. And yeah. uh, uh, young Ernst, Ernst Mueller, who is in his teen years at this point he's about 12 he's about I guess he would have been 14 but I say 14 years old 15 years old uh, his little boy scout group gets incorporated into Hitler Youth mm-hmm. which starts off innocu- innocuous uh, what is the word
1: innocuously
0: which starts off innocuously enough All it is at first is, hey guys, instead of having to just wear like ties and like, you know, little suits, you guys can actually wear like military style uniforms because you've been Mm -hmm. drilling pair, you've been basically playing soldier for a little while, you guys will actually get, look kind of like soldiers. And then eventually it it, it gravitated to, here, you're going to practice drill under arms. You're going to carry, you know, submachine guns and rifles. And then eventually, um, you know, within a matter of months, uh, the little Boy Scout, you know... (laughs) Duck-duck-goose activities had turned to, here's how you throw a grenade and clear clear a bunker with uh, SMGs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it was a pretty rapid transition, and like a lot of young German youth that were not necessarily part of Hitler Youth originally, but they had like their, their youth group, because yeah. Hitler Youth really became the only... Yeah, no,
1: Boy Scout, like actual Boy Scouts, yeah. plus all these other random organizations like Mueller is part of... They're, all get incorporated. They're all incorporated yes. in Hitler Youth, yeah. right?
0: And uh, slowly... Mm-hmm.
1: Unless they're, like, openly communist, in which case they're dissolved. But, like, yeah, every I mean, non-communist youth group is, like, yeah, brought exactly. in. Like, church groups, like, everything is everything. brought into them. So everybody was Hitler just Hitler youth. youth. Everyone, like, under 17 just becomes Hitler Youth immediately.
0: And um, he understands wars around the corner, so... Again, he's got the heritage and the family um, mm-hmm. with a lot of his uncles serving, his dad serving in the Great War. I believe his dad, yeah, was a Great War veteran. Abs- yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, he was a combat veteran from what I understand. Uh, he was just like, yeah, I, I guess I got to do my duty. Not that he had volunteered necessarily to be a Nazi or to join Hitler Youth. It was just his organization yeah. was incorporated. Uh, he this never is by government
1: now Germany is going to
0: war yes and Germany's yeah. going to war and uh, he was of age and uh, got himself initially posted to well actually I guess most of the war he spends it with an artillery unit mm-hmm. uh, serving basically uh, I think in France initially right yeah. Yeah, he does. I don't think he sees Poland. No, I now, don't think he's is, in the Polish campaign. This is one of the gripes I have with the book. His He he does talk about his World War II service. There's public record of it, but a lot of it is very, like, there's gaps. Oh, yeah. Right? There's gaps of, like... We'll like, get more like,
1: into that later.
0: Yeah. yeah, we'll get more into that later, but it's just, like, what the heck was he doing at this time, this time? But it, it's, it appears from his account that he was in um, uh, France and then eventually uh, gets sent to the Eastern Front by 1942. H- his unit, he's not with them, but they're pretty badly mauled after the Battle of Stalingrad, mm-hmm. and he rejoins them. He rejoins a, a different unit after the Battle of Stalingrad. He doesn't exactly specify which one. Again, it's just one of these gap things. He's he's rotated through different artillery units. Um he mentions that they're badly mauled and they, they fight all over the eastern front until he gives himself frostbite uh, because he tries, he screws up his trigger finger uh, giving yeah. him frostbite and uh, he's completely unable to fight because his finger is all wrecked. Um, among other things, he's also wounded uh, a few other times as well. So he gets evacuated back to France and uh, he gets sent back to the front again, is wounded again. Um, this time, more on uh, on the Western Front, as the Americans enter the war in 1944, and whilst lying in a hospital, immobilized uh, from wounds, uh, apparently at this point he's been offered a commission in the German Army. He was like only an, el- an enlisted soldier, but in the Wehrmacht he had basically earned a commission as like an officer cadet, the mm-hmm. equivalent or like a close to like a second lieutenant. He was kind of in an in between phase. He's captured by the Americans. And it's... You know, this is kind of the reason why we don't know... It's hard There is no paperwork for him. It was all destroyed because all his... Every unit he was ever involved in was, like, annihilated, right? Mm -hmm. We do know he, you know, was at some point awarded the Iron Cross for something he did on the Eastern Front. But he is captured there in 1944 by American forces while lying in a hospital bed that gets captured by the Americans. Interestingly enough, he mentions there's a... Uh, American lieutenant who is very very nice to him and like basically ensures that even though he's like completely immobilized from wounds, he's treated well. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite the fact that he's in like a hospital with like a bunch of SS soldiers and stuff, and he yeah. he's he sh- like for all intents and purposes he's regarded as a criminal. Yeah. and he's not expecting very good treatment. He's expecting that uh, you know. <laughs> He's gonna get roughed around a little bit and not, none of that happens because this this young American lieutenant mentions my my brother was a prisoner of war on Normandy. He got captured by the SS and the SS medics actually saved his life mm-hmm. and he's still alive and I, I think I've run into him or something so there you go. Uh, Mueller makes a recovery but in his confused days days, but in a confused days, walks out of this hospital trying to just, you know, get his, uh, get the old sea legs back, as they say, and he's immediately arrested because he's technically escaped American custody. Like, yeah. outside the hospital, he's immediately arrested. Um, because of his status, he's an Iron Cross recipient, and uh, he, he was, he's technically like an officer. He's interrogated by American security agencies, and they're like, are you, well, I guess not security, it would have just been American and Army Intelligence. Yeah. Are you um just two questions almost over and over again are you a nazi you you a party member no have you committed any are you ss no yeah i almost said are you committed any war crimes That would that would have been too obvious. so they ask him all the times are you ss are you like and they have they they keep just grilling him Mm -hmm. the same questions over and over or some variation of that question what do you think about the nazi party what's your feeling you know just stuff like that and his answer is like, no, 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 no. Like, I've, yeah. I've spent my whole time here in uniform since I was like a Boy Scout, and this is just yeah. how the organizations are. Uh, he's detained uh, with a bunch of uh, individuals that are very, very high profile for, for whatever, because he, he was an escapee, and escapees were brought yeah. to more secure facilities, and generally these more secure facilities were uh, higher-ranked Nazi officials, a bunch of SS colonels, um, members of the royal, various royal families of Europe that were pro-Nazi were being detained there and he runs into a bunch of people who start talking about a place called Africa and that they had been to and he it starts to he he mentions it it almost like you know starts to light a little fire inside him about this exotic mm-hmm. different place that uh, he's not quite used to as a you know just a good old Prussian boy mm-hmm. he eventually does get out of jail Randomly, He's not sure what changed, but at some point after the war, he's just told, like, congratulations, you're (laughs) denazified. He's like, I am? And they say, yes, you are. You may leave. So they dump him on the streets, and uh, he is denazified and out of work. A man with uh, the only experience... The only experience he's ever had in his life was basically combat arms, Uh and there's no work for you, so, um... Kind of out of desperation, he works with the American... Uh, what was it called? The labor... Uh, civilian Labor yeah. Group. Because he's
1: rejected from the Bundeswehr. Not right? yet. Not yet. Not end. yet. Okay.
0: So, initially, in the immediate post-war period, and they did the same thing with Japan, right? Because mm-hmm. your, gra- your grandpa worked with these guys. It was all of the old uh, former POWs, all of the um, former like soldiers that had been demilitarized of, from either from all the Axis forces, um, they realized that, like, this is manpower. We need the manpower to police, like, areas. Mm -hmm. We need guys that are still armed to just protect buildings. We need to prevent, especially in Japan, like, we need guys to prevent a coup d'etat from happening because people are not going to be happy about the way that Japan's going. We need to prevent werewolf attacks in in Germany, the the post-war Nazi resistance. We really want to prevent all this stuff and we have a huge pool of manpower who honestly have nothing better to do right now and nothing to lose. So uh, one of the such group in one such group that formed was, uh, according to Mueller, this might be a weird translation thing, because from what what I read, it was called this American civilian labor group. He calls it the Technical Air Force, and that's probably what the German translation actually is—the Technical Air Force, mm-hmm. which is a uh, precursor to the modern. Um, Luftwaffe. Uh, he's involved as...
1: Luftwaffe. The,
0: yeah, still called the Luftwaffe today.
1: Damn, I did not know yes, that. Yes,
0: so all the other ones changed their... The Bundeswehr and the Bundesmarine changed... Yep. ...from Wehrmacht and Kriegsmarine. So, still called Luftwaffe today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's like the predecessor to the current, like, West German slash German Federal Republic uh, Luftwaffe, which is their Air Force. hmm So within this within the framework of this organization, he starts working with American uh bombers at this point interestingly enough that are uh involved in the Berlin airlift so basically they're because the Soviets kind of blockade all of Berlin, they don't let any traffic go through, so the Americans have to actually fly strategic bombers over top and instead of dropping bombs they're dropping like food medicine. they're dropping medicine there's a, famously there's a guy called the candy bomber
1: yeah, who, who drops candy
0: and yeah. uh, becomes like a kind of a folk hero to the people of Berlin mm-hmm. and it uh, you know puts eggs on the Soviets face and they give up the blockade in 1948 and uh, he's involved in this whole process you know kind of making amends for being an evil Nazi back in the day. So uh-huh. uh, he helps the people of Berlin doing that. Is actually a second lieutenant. Uh, unfortunately, in 1955, there is kind of a ruling that individuals who had served in American service, so this American technical, this American CLG group or technical air force Mm -hmm. uh, are not allowed in the bundeswehr or bundesmarine i don't know how it's hard to find an actual i i was digging a while um last night even like right up to the point we were recording this if that's true or not but like they said if you served in this previous organization uh we can't have you because you are technically an american serviceman and we like Mm-hmm. we're not we're gonna do this ourselves in like a German in like a West German way to establish yeah. this new Luftwaffe Bundeswehr Bundesmarine this new West German army mm-hmm. uh, military establishment to potentially repel a you know Soviet aggression because by 1955 the Cold War was in full swing mm-hmm. right the Korean War had happened and stuff um, Mueller mentions that it's just like everything changed when when the Chinese attacked like yeah. it's just like there is like a there is definitively now a bipolar world. Yeah, and uh, you know the West Germans like we, in the same way the East Germans were like we craft our own identity. The West Germans like you know, we're going to do the same thing. Sure, we'll have American equipment, American style uniforms, and American weaponry at times, uh, but we need this run by Germans, not Americans. Mm-hmm. Right? There can't be American citizens or subjects in this new military. Unfortunately for Mueller. He is technically like an American second lieutenant because he's part of this organization. Um, And it's, he's like given promises that he'll be allowed in despite this, but it's, it's kind of like a confusing red tape bureaucratic process, you know, to, you know, not to excuse the West Germans, but starting a new military from scratch after the last one had been mauled to death and trying to craft a new identity after nazism was yeah not it was exactly easy. easy yeah yeah so <laughs> Mueller Mueller just is like i'm not gonna play into these um as as for his account i'm not gonna play into these like political games and deal with this red tape I'm, I'm gonna do something else mm. of course wikipedia just says he was rejected but i think there's there's a little more to the story yeah in 1955 after not joining the new Bundeswehr or the new Luftwaffe he goes to North Africa working for oil companies basically uh using his prior knowledge uh in the Wehrmacht to help identify mines laid by both the British forces and Africa Corps in Libya and it's there that he really falls in love with Africa mm-hmm. um, you you mentioned like he sees like black women and he's Something, clicks. Something we'll, clicks. We'll put it that yeah, way. Something clicks. So while in Libya, Mueller has his first lurid experience uh, witnessing an Arabic woman do a belly dance at a wedding, and it's just this is this is old Libya. This is the Kingdom of Libya. So the culture was a little different than what we consider very Islamic today. It mm-hmm. was it was a little more Arabic than it was Islamic because this is you know pre-Gaddafi, pre-ISIS, yeah. all that stuff. So. Uh, it, was a, it was a bit of like a freer society, to some respects. In some respects, but he does mm-hmm. mention like the women in the society are still like very second class. Um, he he kind of has this funny anecdote where he talks about how a lot of paintings and stuff depict the the Christian Virgin Mary carrying Jesus on a donkey while poor joseph has to you know hold the drag the donkey behind him and hold the rope and hold the reins and walk all Mm -hmm. the way to bethlehem where mary's riding on the donkey uh and he comes across this scene in the middle east there in when i guess north africa sorry he comes across a scene in libya where he sees like a man proudly Mm -hmm. riding his donkey as proud as proud can be and his wife with like a baby on her back carrying like <laughs> carrying like baskets and crap and sacks of flower on her head yeah. dragging the donkey along with her fat husband riding it proudly going like look at my donkey guys <laughs> so it was uh, it was interesting and just like stuff like that he loved it was, it was just so fascinating it was so different than yeah, one, yeah very different know. culture than Europe yeah different everywhere. because in, yeah. In, in Europe there's this, this mythos of like you know men should be the women should be riding the donkey with the yeah. baby and the man should carry it. but it was it was different and he just he was just uh-huh. like this is fascinating yeah. um yeah, and he was just like, yeah, I guess we've created a European myth out of this this culture uh, that doesn't actually exist. It's just like this yeah. is this is us. We're so he he loves like the differences. He loves like he goes to a few more belly dances and stuff. And yeah. he, he he just loves his stuff. And even though it's like pretty dangerous work, he mentions uh, at times like he felt like more people were dying clearing these minefields because they're you know are they're, they're, very he, he he does recount like the Muslims are very brave because they, they don't fear death, right? Mm-hmm. They just they they know Allah will send them to paradise afterwards, even if they blow up doing this. So with very rudimentary equipment they're clearing minefields. He mentions that there were at times enough deaths, straight up deaths, uh, than the invasion of Poland, right? And to be fair, not not a lot of Germans died during the invasion of Poland, but yeah. still like that like there was Graveyards of British and German soldiers in Libya. That he said that like we could have filled those the same amount of people that in those graveyards with our own dead. uh, Just clearing these mines. Right. So it was it was pretty dangerous work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But and he's supervising it out on like on the floor. Right. Leading the guys and still doing a still having a great time somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. He he loves it and um, after. So after this work contract with uh, various British oil companies, he goes down to South Africa um, for a little more work and a little more R and R. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, uh, he is recruited with a very simple advertisement in the newspaper, which which basically just reads: "Looking for men, looking for an extraordinary time."
1: Yeah.
0: First, you know, because he had some. Men among men, someone might say, something like that. Mm -hmm. Because he has a lot of foresight, he knows this isn't like some weird sex thing. This is like, this could be a war. So, and lo and behold, it is. It's it's actually a recruiting officer for the Congo, and the legend of the Congo Mueller only then really begins. Yeah, Uh, Congo Mueller in the Congo.
1: Yeah, I guess we should now talk about the Congo. Yes, We've talked a lot about Mueller. Um, so yeah, so the Congo—I mean, it's an ancient, ancient land. It's pretty close to the the birthplace of humanity, according to the the Lucy finds and all that. Um, it's in the heart of Africa. It's very thickly forested. Very, uh, very ancient place. Um, and the Congo during the scramble for Africa was taken over by the Belgians. Uh, It was the famous sort of... It made the Belgium very wealthy through the rubber trade. Um, Unfortunately, it was the site of some very horrific mismanagement that led to a lot of people dying under King Leopold II. And when the Belgian people and government found out about that, control was wrenched away from him and given to the Belgian parliament who controlled it. That that happened in the sort of 1890s, I believe. And... um, the Bel- it was run basically on behalf of the crown, but by the Belgian parliament from the 1890s, right up till 1960. Uh, prior to 1960, there was a growing independence movement. It's led by a number of uh, figures who I'm sure Hank could name. But um, yeah, the there is a growing independence movement. So the then crown prince and the Belgian government decide to give the Congo its independence. And that's declared on in 1960.
0: Yeah, just to just to build on that, there's <clears throat> there's two kind of main figures uh, mm-hmm. associated at the like head of the independence movement. There's other guys that become way more prominent later on, but really the the, the two big names are uh, the first guy is a fellow by the name of Joseph Kasavubu, and the second is Patrice Lumumba, who respectively serve and as as president and prime minister. Yeah, in a kind of power sharing agreement because there are two kind of A type personalities as far as African independence and African nationalism go. Yeah, uh, there's other characters that we'll you know we'll get into um, characters or as in like real historical people, but yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get into these these figures a little later on. But at this early stage, it's just two main guys who are really, uh, <clears throat> you know, at. at the head of things, and they don't see eye to eye.
1: Not at all. And, yeah, so the Congo gains independence from the Belgians, and unfortunately it swiftly falls into a bit of chaos. Yes. Part yes. part of the reason for that is one of the richer regions of the Congo, known as Katanga, Yes. breaks away and forms an un... Much like Rhodesia, forms an unrecognized independent state.
0: Yes, uh, initially... And then this is when our third guy comes in, a uh, fella who we're going to be referring back to a lot, Moise Shambay. Shambay. Shambe is a, a Katangese merchant um, who lives in this very prosperous region of the Congo, probably the most uh, prosperous province in, in many ways. It was like sustaining the rest of this yeah. whole colony at, uh, during the colonial era, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that it's it's kind of like a have region, and all the other regions are half not regions. Yes, immediately, like upon the independence of the Congo, with under the leadership of Kasavubu and uh, Patrice Lumumba, Lumumba being the the primary leader, second uh, Kasavubu being his like second, I think, prime minister. Sorry, he he would have been the president. He was prime minister first, and then president. Um, Lumumba and Shambe, who was the the leader of the cat. Ket- Katangiz separates. Uh, out of sheer desperation, Mubushambe um, yeah. recruits white mercenaries for the first time in the Congo, generally former Belgian soldiers who had been stationed in the Congo mm-hmm. or mem- uh, as members of the Force Publique, which was the colonial Congolese army, uh, members of the Jer- uh, Belgian army, French legionnaires, and a fellow by the name of Mad Mike Hoare. Who is mm-hmm. a World War II veteran of yes. the Burma campaign? Yeah. He shows up there, and at like like you said, it's just it's pandemonium. The Lumumba and Kasavubu in their desperation to take back this very rich part of the country, calling yeah. the UN. There's a big kerfuffle. Yes, and, uh,
1: there's basically, and we should mention also. While Katanga is separating, there are riots in the major cities. Yes, this is not caused by Katanga's su- succession. This is something that happens. Amid- Crime like sh- skyrockets. A lot of like suppressed ethnic tensions uh, sort of bubble back to the surface. There's a lot of violence that so happens. It's a tribal,
0: tribal, yeah, the tribal blood feuds show up. Yeah,
1: again. a lot of violence, uh, both both between black and white, and both between. Um, black on black and black on white um, sort of erupt in the aftermath of independence and Katanga in many ways sees itself as we're shoving off from this shinking, sinking ship and doing our own thing
0: so at, at this yeah. stage the, uh, the UN do arrive at, at the insistence of largely Patrice Lumumba and his um, well and actually Casa Bubu as well who are really playing into the African nationalism thing, so they're employing countries like uh, Ethiopia and uh, countries, uh, Algeria at this time, which had recently succeed, uh, seceded from France and became independent in their own right. He, They started, uh, and Egypt, of course, yeah. and they're just like, Africa, like, come to our aid. We have colonizers at it again. It was basically how it was sold. Mm-hmm. And uh, through the UN... Going through the UN, these armies were able to legally like come into the country uh, in a, I guess, politically acceptable way for the international community because otherwise it would have looked like an invasion force. Mm-hmm. Not in any other context, but the new UN, which had pretty decent success in uh, the Suez, yeah. uh, only only four years before this, um, were like, yeah, let's let's do it again. Uh, bulk of the troops were African. There's an Irish contingent, uh, very famously at, at Jabotville. Um, that was involved in that, this campaign fighting against the Katangese. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, Swedish involvement in the UN, but b- the bulk of the fighting was done by Ethiopians and yeah. other uh, African nations that had sent uh, UN forces into Katanga to basically pacify it. During this period, Patrice Lumumba, uh, being kind of a fool and approaching the Soviet Union, which is a, which was a big faux pas that. You know, in, like, Fallout or whatever, or those RPG games where, the, like, everybody disliked that.
1: Yeah. Going to the
0: Soviets was a uh, everybody disliked that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, in 1961, he was assassinated. Lumumba? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We don't know where his body is to this day. That's oh, a, yeah. That's a, see, you didn't even know he was assassinated. They, oh, offed, yeah. him. they yeah. offed him.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. he's he allegedly was killed by the Katangans, right?
0: I think that's the main that's there, the most commonly yeah, believed yeah. story we're, okay we, we're not gonna make wild claims yep. we're, we're not actually sure because like, yes. we don't know there's no body there's no he just didn't got, they
1: find his teeth I thought they found yeah, his teeth yeah
0: something like that they found yeah. bits of him but not, yeah. not much of him so yeah, it's it, a bit it, gruesome it, it, anyway it, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It, it appears he was tortured and chopped up into pieces kind of deal so yeah. we're not who knows he's out of the picture in 1961 because he's going to the Soviets and the Americans don't like that. Yeah. Uh, however, at the same time, there's a relatively low-level kind of administrator, minister-type guy uh, by the name of Pierre Mulali, who at the same time behind the scenes is going to the Chinese. Uh, he actually, via Cairo, goes all the way to Beijing with a cadre of Angolan, kind of like. We'll call them like revolutionaries, yeah. not quite military men, but revolutionaries, um, men that understood, in in many ways, the grievances of a lot of Congolese with not just mm-hmm. what was happening with the Belgian, uh, kind of, a, not just ha- not just like the Belgian legacy of you know being colonizers, but also the issues with the Kasavubu government because Kasavubu was a pretty weak leader. Um, the issues with Lumumba Lam- being assassinated, which they felt was very unjust, because he was regarded by at least by them, um, they were far more ideologically driven uh, than Lumumba was. He felt they felt like Lumumba was going in the right direction by doing, you know, implementing, we'll call them like proto-socialist policies. He seemed to be more on their side, and for that. Grievous crime. He was suddenly killed, um, mm-hmm. and they they sincerely believe it was like the CIA or or the Belgians, right? Yeah. Uh, so
1: reactionary colonizer forces ex- ex- of, some kind. of some sort. And yes. They're just
0: like we we have to fight this. They go to China. Um, they get some serious seriously good training as far as uh, the Chinese are concerned, because the mm-hmm. Chinese are really. Their tentacles are extending all over Africa at this point. How funny how nothing changes. (laughs) Anyways, uh, the Chinese teach these guys all about Mao Zedong's guerrilla warfare mindset, right? How to how to people's
1: revolution, people's People's army, all that stuff.
0: All right. Um, At this time, they're also getting support from the likes of um, Che Guevara, from the likes of what's his face General Giap in Vietnam. Like every every big name in the guerrilla world is but like yeah. here. Like here's a letter of support and just just a word of advice and how you run things operationally. They actually translate a bunch of uh, Mao Zedong's books for these guys, and they're just like like read and understand. Uh-huh. These guys show up show back up to the Congo with the tools to really cause some mayhem in 1963. The Katanga se- secession crisis comes to an end. Katanga's
1: is absorbed forcibly back into the Congo. Yes. Yeah.
0: Via, via the ANC, the army of the Cong- uh, army, the national army of the Congo um, and not the South African ANC. So we'll be yeah. referring back to the ANC again here again so just for your reference this is the yeah. Congolese ANC. Yeah. Them and the UN forcibly bring Katanga back into the fold. Right? Um And initially Moishambe is exiled But uh, Kasabubu being just so pitifully weak at times And indecisive Ends up actually inviting him back Yes Um, And as soon as he's invited back Around the time of his invitation back Mulele shows back up Um, And an event kicks off Known as the Simba Rebellion Mm-hmm. Under the leadership of Pierre Mulali and a few other senior, um, I guess, insurrectionists, right? You yes. can call them insurrectionists. Yes. They uh, they rile up the population, utilizing all the tools they had gotten in China, mm-hmm. utilizing the weapons and equipment, uh, the know-how, physical like Chinese staff like, passing on information and knowledge from embassies within the Congo and different parts of Africa. Uh, they mobilize quite literally, like, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, into open revolt against the Kasavubu government, which is seen, which was sold to the people uh, primarily as a continuation of the, the Belgian...
1: A Belgian culture. and American puppet.
0: Yes, a Belgian-American yes. puppet. And, uh, even worse like, bad juju. Yes. They used this, the, the, they really preyed on traditional, um, tribal cults and, mm-hmm. uh, just, just African, I guess the best term would be like African witchcraft. Yes. They really played on, into those, uh, primal superstitious fears yeah. that a lot of people in the Congo had in this era. And I think in, in large parts of Africa still do. um, where it's like basically you know I, I'm really underselling it with the phrase bad juju but bad juju like that man yeah. is bad juju that man is evil that man is, is, is gonna is gonna get you killed and ruin your country and he is an evil spirit He's corrupted by evil people uh Add in a little pinch of communism and a communist uh, yeah. theory. And, Not just and communism. communism, Maoism. Maoism, yeah. yeah. Add, in, add in just a pinch of the Little Red Book to that, right? Yeah, and, and you have
1: quite the revolutionary movement.
0: Yes. Hundreds of thousands of Simbas are mobilized. Simba yeah. meaning lion. Mm-hmm. They are oftentimes clad only in loincloths, very poorly armed, right? With the exception to a few kind of super well-trained uh, Chinese-equipped units the bulk of them are young men that are generally not super well-educated.
1: Generally from tribal, generally rural from tribal areas. areas uh,
0: and, and a good number actually educated by the missionaries. But for whatever reason, due to, due to the nature of their education, had gripes against the missionaries, uh, mm-hmm. white missionaries and black missionaries alike. Yeah. So they had gripes against the church. And, uh, yeah, no, it was just a perfect storm for these people to start mm-hmm. going around. Initially... Uh, you know, obviously they're uh, painted in like paint that they believe made them immune to bullets and had bracelets yeah. that made them immune to bullets. And they believe that if they, they died in battle, they'd be resurrected three days later, Yeah. Uh, not fearing death. Initially they went after kind of isolated targets, um, generally soft targets like, like church missions, stations, missionary stations, Uh, going after nuns and priests, and then slowly they went after bigger plantations, taking out their security, going in, killing everything in sight, black workers included. There's actually incidents of like random Malaysians that are there to teach the Congolese how to plant rubber, who are all just chopped up and eaten. Yeah, the Um, the
1: Simbas were much like a modern... We're talking like Mexican drug cartel or yeah. ISIS levels of violence, like extreme brutality. like we're talking stuff that would be considered a bit much on like Eastern Front, yes. like it was it's bad. like people getting I'm going to read actually an excerpt that from the book that sort of describes a bit about what the the simbas are like. Sharpen your knives and machetes. We're going to skin all the whites. Continuously, the rebel radio broadcasts in Lingala, this message from Gamarnier headquarters. Cloistered in their villas, their apartments, the Europeans of Stan erected the last ramparts against the doors, that of the furniture, the bed, the wardrobe, the fridge. The rebels had slipped the weekly combat magazine of the National Liberation Committee, Le Martyr, into the letterboxes under the doors, with Gaston and Soumalé as editor-in-charge. The editor is signed by the head of state, His Excellency Christophe Gabinier, and this is what it says. We have in our clutches more than 300 Americans and more than 1,800 Belgians, put under house arrest in safe places. At the slightest bombardment of our revolutionary capital, a destination in the afterlife will do for them. That is, they will all be massacred. We will make our fetishes from the hearts of the Americans and the Belgians, and we will dress ourselves in the skins of Belgians and Americans.
0: So that wasn't an idle threat. No,
1: not at all. Yeah. There is the the Simbas, and this is earlier. What I was, you saw bits of this very nasty massacres and cannibalism. A lot of it targeted against white settlers, but plenty of it done to other black people as well during the initial independence. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. There is a targeted, arguably, towards specifically Belgians. Yes, because this is sort of a revolutionary movement, and the Belgians are seen as the the man. But there is a lot of you see a bit of this atrocity in the original um, Independence and the sort of chaos there, but it takes entirely new heights under the Simbas. They're very, very. They like to kill and torture people. They're 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 very much into the sort of Comanche mindset.
0: So Comanche mindset with a little bit of cannibalism. Yes, just for just yeah. for good measure. Yeah, the these guys are uh, bad dudes and. Kasabubu being very weak kind of reinstalls yeah. Shambay who had just been kicked out back yeah. into power because Shambay, uh, you know, I mean, he's, I guess in today's sense that people would see him as a, like, pro, as a pro-colonial kind of guy. Um, like, the guy was a, hugely, in many ways, like, a, trying to be forward-thinking. Mm-hmm. He He almost was, like the Congo Sun Yat San. He's he's a very in many ways he was a very uniting figure, um, able to unite even like even able to like get the support of somebody who really, really uh, disliked him initially, Kasabubu. Mm -hmm. And not only that, be reinstalled into power, uh, but also to kind of like use International, like gain international support from everywhere. He had supply. He had the Americans on his side. He had the South Africans on his side. He had the bulk of the Congolese people on his side. uh, Mm -hmm. By the end of this conflict, however, he realizes, like you know, his ragtag army, the remnants of the Force Publique, with very low morale, very low pay, um, not a lot of hope, and a very very scary enemy that was destroying villages all over the Congo and had actually captured. Uh, as you mentioned, the revolutionary capital of Stanleyville, and were holding approximately two thousand european citizen European and American citizens prisoner like within their own homes um, he knew he needed some help and uh you know he famously says to Mike corps you know give me give me two battalions, like raise some men, raise some hell just like you did in Katanga, and one of those men is Siegfried Mueller, initially serving under uh, the command of Major Mike Hor on an amphibious uh, operation towards a place called Albertville. Um, he serves with a group called Five Commando, famously the Wild Geese. Yep. Uh, under under Mike Hor, who is at this point just a major in the Congolese army, uh, drawing pretty crappy wages, honestly, <laughs> for the amount of danger yeah. they're, they're putting themselves through. And, uh, you know, there's we again. You'll just you guys will just have to read the book here. But there's there's moments of serious uh, distress for the guys that are fighting, and there's there's moments of serious tension when guys are not being paid after they've survived the whole firefight. It's like oh, you're not being paid. Or uh, there was like a rule that half of your wages had to stay in the Congo. You couldn't ship them elsewhere. Yeah. And oftentimes you're being paid in worthless Congolese francs, which you can't are not legal tender outside of the Congo because the congo's a mess mm-hmm. right so it was it was really sketchy these guys were hoping for the best but at, at points like morale was very low uh so fighting through that um he mueller eventually well first off when he actually arrives and this is this is part of the thing that makes him famous is he asks uh major horror like am i can I wear my iron cross and Mike Hoare is actually like, I insist you wear your (laughs) Iron Cross. Even though Mike was on the other side of the war and had no love for the Germans, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I can imagine he would have had friends that were killed in action fighting against the Germans on the Western Front. Now, he was, you know, of course, in Burma, so didn't really fight the Germans himself. Personally, like, I'm sure he understood, like, there were some bad cookies in that army. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they they weren't our friends exactly.
1: That's putting it mildly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so...
0: But he was just like, you're a brother soldier, man. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're all in this together. You got you to gotta command some respect. In mm-hmm. um, his first mission, funny enough, he's got this... Uh, Mueller is given his kind of own platoon within the structure of 5 Commando. One of the subunits called 5-2 Commando, um, where he serves with, has like an Italian fascist mechanic, like a Jewish anti-communist and an ex-german or jeez and an east german guy yeah. <laughs> of all people like a former east german communist that some, that jumped the wall yeah right uh, and he was formerly actually in the east german army as a paratrooper right he has all these like weird mm. people with him and it's just it's a Rainbow Coalition. Yeah,
1: these are the mercenaries. They're from all over like yes. the Western world. They're from from Israel to Canada. <laughs> like <they're, laughs>
0: I don't think there... There might have been Canadians there for all I know. There might have been. Uh, yeah, the, the yeah. records are kind of spotty. There's actually a full list of everybody who ever served in uh, Five Commando that, that we know of. Um, and it's in on a we- website called mercenary-wars.net. It's like the only source for it. And it's got... Everybody listed, but there's a bunch of like question, like nationality. It's a question mark because we still. This is a mercenary unit, and it was. It's in a country that has gone through, I think, four different iterations now since this (laughs) conflict. So the paperwork doesn't exist anymore.
1: Twenty civil
0: wars. (laughs) Well, I guess okay. The technically, the way that it's looked at by a lot of, I guess, humanitarian groups now is it, It was one long uninterrupted civil war. Because that's really what it was. Yeah. right? It, would, it never... There was never, like, a pause. It was...
1: Under Zer, wasn't there a pause? No. No, it kept it going? Was just, it
0: was just from outside influences. It was okay. just, like, armies in exile. Yeah. But, like, you know, as soon as Mobutu died... It, anyways, we'll mm-hmm. get to that. We'll get to Mobutu. Yeah. But actually, we'll get to Mobutu right now, since you bring it up. Uh, General Mobutu. Um, he is a... I guess later in life, he had a super long African name. It's just, uh, just Joseph Mabutu. for now. Yeah. Uh, was the overall chief of staff for the Congolese army. Um, hugely respected by the mercenaries. Hugely respected by Core and uh, Mueller. They, they speak very highly of him um, mm-hmm. as a very effective and competent commander who very effectively utilizes these mercenary units, not as... Not exclusively as just like shock troops, and oftentimes they are used as like shock troops because they're all generally very highly trained, have some military experience. You got Korea War vets, World War II vets. Uh, you have like like Mueller, obviously. You have dudes that served in Malaya. Uh-huh. Serious dudes, um, and and of course just like people with nothing to lose because they yeah. you know they cheated on their wife in Europe or something. They they had yeah. nothing better to do. So he used these guys very effectively in conjunction with the ANC, uh, the black mm-hmm. troops, right? Utilizing, like placing them at different points in the line. And uh, they have a pretty dramatic, after the Albertville, uh, seizing Albertville by, via um, an amphibious assault, uh, they have this huge column from basically the southern tip of the country all the way to the northern tip of the country. Uh, and this is a country like a hundred times the size of Belgium. It's a big country. It's yeah. one of the biggest. In, I think it's the biggest in Africa still.
1: Certainly
0: I want to say it is. Yeah. It is huge, right? Going all the way up to the northern tip of this country uh, and knowing full well, as as you read in your excerpt, that they're in, in Stanleyville, which was the northern tip of the country. Uh, the moment they started fighting, like, There, there would be a bloodbath. Yeah, people are gonna be massacred. Yeah, they are holding the whole town gunpoint. They're like, "We'll we'll kill all the whites here." Mm -hmm. And along the way, they're dealing, they're encountering like random plantations and uh, farms and uh, farm uh, church missions where all the whites there are literally just like skinned and flayed. Now, Mueller describes a lot of the atrocities he witnesses that the Simbas commit. Um, So it's it's quite obvious to know to like why they don't take a lot of prisoners. Yeah, no. There was uh, no
1: there was no love uh, lost when yeah, simbas no were captured. Because
0: they're they're running oftentimes into like impaled the children and um, Yeah, no. this. All kinds of yeah, no. And and
1: the, and the yeah. simbas are yeah, they're not again. Th- this is like fighting ISIS or yeah. fighting a the Mexican drug cartel like you're exactly encountering uh, horrific
0: stuff so every day. Mueller doesn't go into too many of the details and maybe we'll look at Mike Horrors uh, Congo mercenary later on but he Mike, in his investigations of this stuff, like, determines, like, the causes of death. He has to actually, like... Yeah. Check the corpses and get reports, and every body has to be investigated, right? Yeah. Um, and it is pretty horrific. Like, there's there's bodies strewn all over the road. Yeah. Like, literally, like, skeletons, because it's a jungle, so... The, yeah. There's nothing left after a few days. Yeah. It's just... There's skeletons all over the road. It's a horrific situation, um, and fighting all the way up, they're accompanied... Uh, they, they once they make it to Stanleyville and they're surrounding the border of like the kind of the city's outskirts uh, 250 Belgian paratroopers in American aircraft are dropped into the city to support them because there are Belgian nationals and uh, the the land force made up of the ANC five commando and other European mercenary forces eight commando now led by Siegfried Mueller all storm in and uh, they, they, amazingly, amazingly, they saved the day. Like, they uh-huh. literally, there's there's hundreds of people, actually, in um, Lumumba Square, which is a big, like, public square in the center of Stanleyville uh-huh. that had a big statue of Patrice Lumumba that the Simbas love to execute people on. They love to, like, bring people there, and they actually took the mayor there they ripped out his heart, ate it in front of the crowd, and then like set his corpse on fire and just there's, there's stuff like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's a grim place. <laughs> yeah, there
0: <laughs> it's not a nice place. They have a few hundred uh, white civilians there, and they have them like all doused in gasoline and stuff. And yeah, they're and, like, ready to they start let them shooting. Up. Yeah, yeah. They, and they, they start shooting. They they do kill a lot of civilians, um, but like amazingly, they are able to save a lot of people despite mm-hmm. the fact that obviously the moment the first shot goes off. They start shooting white people and blacks. It's just indiscriminate. Yes, it's yeah, just...
1: yeah. The the way to look at it, is the Simbas like did often like specifically target white, white people, but that doesn't mean they like spared black people at all. They a lot of yeah. again, the mayor was black and they ripped his heart out right and ate it in front of the. Yep. Yeah, they the the Simbas were. Uh, the the way it would be I guess is like how communists like, the Bolsheviks in Russia treated, like, the aristocrats as the main enemy, but they would be very brutal to any peasant who crossed them in any way. Yeah. I think that's a good way of looking at it.
0: So, from Stanleyville, he, uh, they they do liberate it from, you know, Operation Dragon Rouge, very famously with the Belgian paratroopers. Of course, the Belgian paratroopers get all the credit, even yes. though like the bulk of the fighting is done by the mercs, yeah, is done by the mercs and the ANC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I mean, when they're there, the people are just, especially the blacks who have. Uh, at, he estimates at least two thousand blacks died. There's yeah. estimate's all over the place, but I believe I mm-hmm. that number it makes sense. Yeah. most of their bodies were thrown to crocodiles, so there's no. Yeah. This is not even stuff we can properly trace anymore, right? Thrown
1: to crocodiles by whom?
0: The Simbas. Okay, yeah. yeah. The is, I, I've heard of like my core gets into it a little more, but yeah. like the, the there aren't mass graves in the Congo because I mean the jungle is unforgiving you know, yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. yeah. Everything eats. It's, yeah, it's it gone. Eaten. Right? Yeah. So um, from from there, uh, event from there, um, Mueller finally like interacts with some journalists and stuff and. At that point, he's like super famously defamed uh, yeah. by, by West German journalists and stuff because they basically get him drunk and get him talking and yeah. and completely misrepresent everything he says, accuse him of being former SS and stuff. And he's just like, no, I'm not. Yeah. So he continues to serve. Uh, unlike uh, Mike, actually, one of the things that makes his, his later unit, 8 Commando, a little bit different because um, after Stanleyville... He gets uh, he gets given a command of his own unit, eight commando. Is they're actually allowed allowed to wear camouflage? So he's in his in his famous picture, he's wearing a camouflage smock, right? Whereas Mike Horse five commando, they were not allowed to wear any camo, just mm-hmm. as a I guess a thing to differentiate them from the ANC. They weren't yep. allowed to wear the the brushstroke colors. But uh, given command of his own unit. Eight Commando, uh, they set off on another crazy column. Now they're on like kind of the north eastern side of this country. They have to go all the way to the western side of the country, central. Yeah. And uh, it's another long journey where um, they get into a bunch of firefights as well. Again, uh, we got another. We got, got another excerpt.
1: We do. Yeah, indeed. all right. So
0: this is, I believe, on the road to Coquit- Coquitville. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Yeah because I don't speak French, but uh, on the way to Coquitville, 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 Coquitville? Coquiloville, yeah, something along that Something those. He calls it, he calls it Cock actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm not joking, like because he calls Stanleyville Stan, and yeah. um, a lot of the guys called Leopoldville Leo, which is the yeah, like the good guy town, and the, the, yeah, right? So they called the Coquitvilleville,
1: yeah, just good cock. guy meaning where the mercenaries were. Uh, the ANC. The, yeah, the, the, the mercenaries the, uh, the, the ANC. Shambay, were, the Shambay government. Were um, yeah, stationed out of. On the bridge, nobody. Nothing is moving around. I raise my arm and we rush off, surprised by the silence. One and a half kilometers further on, just as our nerves are starting to relax, a hell of fire breaks out in our left and in front of us. This time it's the real deal. Everything is there. Rifles, machine guns... Bazookas, machine guns of various calibers. No more skirmishes with the gesticulating, colorful Simbas. This time it's the real war, and it smells like Chinese. Lieutenant Avison Conde, who is in the lead with some light vehicles, managed to stall and leave the fire zone with the radio car. I arrived behind, preceded by three cars. A jeep explodes, throwing its occupants in all directions. Another one bursts into flames and the men dive screaming into the ferns along the road. I stop the landover and do the same as they do while crawling backwards. Get off the road! Fire at will! The column in the rear was scrambling like an ant hill that had been stepped on. Some men are shooting back, others are taking cover behind their vehicles, and all the machine gun fire we are receiving seems to come from nowhere. We are by now about three hundred metres away from the point where the first cars are still blazing. Each one has its reserve of gasoline and shells. These explode, first separately, then in packs, digging huge funnels on the road. From afar, we hear the sound of another battle. Abison Conde must have come through and snagged another enemy band a little further away, and the knotted group is still on the move. I'm not sure what decision to make. Stay cover, Attack? Wait for the night? It's almost hand-to-hand combat and the only artillery piece we have left is useless under these conditions. With each explosion, roars of joy rise from the forest, on the enemy's side. The darkness comes little by little. I start shouting orders. Armored car here in position, heavy machine gun to the right, first company behind the other armored car. In truth, there is no such thing, and my men think I have suddenly gone mad, but I know the enemy is close by in the crackling woods, and we have to deceive them about our true strength. The radio car is no longer with us, and it is impossible to contact headquarters. Staying there is terrible, and I'm thinking of trying to break through to the front under cover of darkness, but the enemy has gasoline cans placed on the road, which they immediately ignite. The night is spent shooting at random, and then a gray dawn rises along with a fantastic hurricane, the likes of which can only be found in the equatorial forests. In a few moments, everything is dripping with water. So just insane, like roadside ambushes, like the jungle being quiet one minute and turning into a 12-hour like a firefight the next. It's That's the kind of fighting that yep. goes on in the Congo.
0: All the way to Stanleyville and all the way to Coke. Yep. All the way. Uh, it's t- Technically, it's a six-month contract for yep. these guys, right? And uh, it's, it's not a lot of downtime. It's just yep. go, 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 because it was literally like recapturing a country that mm-hmm. have been lost to these uh pretty psychotic yeah crazy by the way, drugged up, I should mention drugged yes. up the like Chinese are yeah. apparently importing cocaine in the tons to yeah. <laughs> to make these in addition to like the traditional tribal medicines, they're yeah. sprinkling a bit of like cocaine in there. And these yeah. guys were not not afraid of death. They they actually had like children as their like meat shields more or less. Like child yeah. it was crazy. It was Yeah,
1: this was it, it was it was grim stuff.
0: It was very grim. Uh, yeah. They had kids, about 12 or 13, coked up on, well, everything, yeah. basically, Africa can offer and the Chinese can import. Uh, they were really high and unafraid to die and told that if they died anyways, they'd be resurrected in three days. Um, the Simbas or Mulalias just pushed very hard, took a lot of the country very fast, uh, in, the, in the aftermath of the Katanga crisis, the ANC was pretty badly mauled by the Katangans.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: there was no real law and order until uh, guys like Siegfried Mueller and Mike Hor showed up with the um, support of Shambi and under the command of General Mobutu. Now, unfortunately, after basically recapturing the entire country, uh, Shambi is, is a spent force, right? Yeah. He has used every ounce of goodwill to get American air support, to get Belgians in, right? Belgians back in five years after kicking them out, get mm-hmm. Belgians back in the country, um, despite the fact that he, in many ways, is the the architect behind this victory, uh, in the, in the political sense, um, and militarily, uh, Mobutu was very much in a much stronger position, and, uh, Despite how much praise was levied from Mobutu at the time, who you know, General Mobutu was a very, I guess, cultured gentleman, and he kind of gave off a certain perception, and many of the same kind of perception as like an early Robert Mugabe, who was very charming and mm-hmm. uh, and he seems super intelligent. Same same thing with an early young Robert Mugabe. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, like behind, like in the, the back, deep in the either through through kind of a slow burn process or maybe he's always been like this um the the former sergeant of the force public Mabutu uh had kleptomaniacal desires and he ends up taking power from Shambay kind of in a coup d'état, saying Mm -hmm. I'll give it back eventually I'll give it back eventually uh and Shambay in 1966 basically is no longer in the picture um within within like that year he gets really sick because uh, again he is a spent force, and, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately at this point, uh, because there's there's kind of no more work for these guys. A lot of those key mercenaries like Mueller, like Mad Mike Hor, um, say, "Yeah, no, thanks for the contracts. I'm I'm done." Uh, they're they're offered all kinds of stuff. Mabudu kind of wants these guys to stick around just in case there's going to be issues with other countries and stuff. Or gonna, another rebellion, or breaks, another rebellion out. breaks out. Because um, for all intents and purposes, this this uh, subjugation of the Simbas was quite successful. It took them mm-hmm. a good bit of time, right? Uh, but they're, you know, three years or almost three years, just, just shy of three years, they're able to put this down by 1965 uh, for Mobutu to take power. You know, he wants to hang on to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mueller goes back to civilian life and kind of writes writes this memoir. Unfortunately, not long after he passes away, pass, uh, dies in 1982, pretty prematurely, um, I believe, from cancer. I mean, you live a life like his. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, it, I I would imagine it does a number on your health.
1: Yeah, burning. Um, what's the thing about the the. The candles which burn the brightest burn the fastest, yeah, or something exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So
0: he's, in in his own way, kind of a spent force, it seems, after mm, all this. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mueller
1: really liked Tshombe too. Yes. Absolutely adored the man. And I think Tshombe's This is just pure speculation on my part. I think watching Tshombe go from, like, the powerhouse visionary yeah, yeah. leader to, like, a spent force who I think dies in exile in, like, 1966. Yeah. Um, you know, from no,
0: he never goes back to the Congo.
1: Yeah, yeah, is that's a lot for yep. a guy who sacrificed so much blood and stuff yeah. for Tshombe's version so of Africa. The,
0: the sum up over the next thirty years in the Congo, Mobutu, his temporary hold on power isn't so temporary. Yeah, um, in 1966, towards the end of Tshombe's life, there's two separate rumors that he's either been invited back or he's gonna come back to the Congo and all of the white mercenaries both on both those occasions uh, have serious mutinies and unfortunately those mutinies are crushed because Shambe did not come back Uh and uh, the ANC became top dog and by the time of the second revolt um Babutu's just like, okay, I don't want any white mercenaries in this country. Yeah, they're they're dangerous. Not 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 only that, he declared himself an anti-colonial Africanist and uh, tried to expunge Belgium of all uh, European elements, including how they managed the economy, which led to major hyperinflation, while at the same time the guy was buying Rolexes and sports cars. Yeah, he became
1: Uh, a bit of a... Tin pot dictator. Yeah, yeah. And, and he renamed he, the country Zaire.
0: Yeah, he renamed the country Zaire. He gave yeah. himself a new name. He forced a lot of Congolese people to change their names to be more Africanized. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, this stuck. This this kept going on until 1997. Yes, when he finally died. Yeah, and then
1: the Congo <laughs> collapsed back into yeah, 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 civil yeah, 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 war yeah, yeah. and all a, sorts of horrible stuff. And stuff. Yeah,
0: yep. So yeah, Kabila took over, and then you know, I just. It just hasn't stopped. It's been a constant no, train yes. wreck since yeah. then. It's still a train wreck to some extent right now. Yeah. So that's uh, that's that's the unfortunate story of where that all ends. And uh, our Siegfried Mueller passes away in 1982 in peace in South Africa mm-hmm. after a battle with some health problems. Yeah. Uh, but, man, hell of a read, guys. You should, uh, yes. you should get into it around the beginning of the book we, we gotta f- finish with this excerpt he, uh, he waxes poetic about about life and I think this reveals a lot about his mindset and I man, shit I love this I love this this is one of my favorite parts in the book so we'll uh, we'll close off with this
1: to live free is to fight from the simplest to the most complicated beings this law is common cells develop passive or active forms of combat in higher beings, such as man, we see the birth of organisms that specialize to assure food and movements. This is the natural law of families, tribes, or nations. The reproduction of the species is only possible through the association of two partners, one maintaining life and the other fighting, through fighting against the hostile surroundings. To live is to fight, and no being is able to survive without destroying others. This struggle for daily bread leads to the expansion of one's powers so as to live more easily. We look for accomplices and friendships in order to pursue those who are easier to kill and to feed on them. Thus were born the packs and animals, the collective associations, from the family to the empire, in men and among the most developed beings, a certain ethic which says that wolves do not eat each other. Killing a fellow human being is severely punished, and yet in the civilized world war remains a legal means, whereas reason teaches that all conflicts could be resolved peacefully. The human species has existed for more than a million years. For 6,000 years, it has left ridden evidence of this existence. As early as that time, we know, problems similar to ours arose, and groups recommend that reason be used to solve them. 2,000 years ago, Christ preached peace on earth to men of goodwill. This lesson has not been heeded through the generations, yet our forefathers wanted to apply it as much as we do. They did not succeed, and neither will we, but we want to keep trying in the belief that the world will one day become a better place
0: lid freeze to fight
1: yeah no that's pretty pretty cool uh, we will say yeah there's a great book guys really do recommend it I do have to just warn people because it is translated from German to French then to English French and just the English, way it's yeah. written it is a bit scatterbrained it jumps around a lot but there is if you can read behind between the lines it is a quite an epic narrative
0: yeah and if, uh, if it's any like point of reference like Yes. Despite how much we jumped around, like the, we actually like put this chronological. Yeah, we put this chronological. It's, it's very hard to vary all over yeah. the place.
1: That's the one criticism of this book yeah. is Mueller's very like stream of consciousness writer, and added to that, nothing's really in chronological order. Yes.
0: <laughs> that being said though you should totally get the book read it it is it is incredible the the yep. accounts of combat are amazing if you've watched the movie from I think also from 1966 uh, Africa Adios or the you know Dark of the Sun or whatever yep. I, we'll, at either of those two movies like, yes
1: we should mention Africa Adido briefly here I, Ad, adi- Adios Adios yeah. it's, it's, I thought it's Adido
0: it's Africa Adios okay it's Adios okay
1: why didn't I think it was okay never mind
0: what the heck is Adido I don't it's know it's like goodbye Africa right Adios. yes
1: yeah okay Anyway, um, Africa Adios is a great documentary about Africa during the '60s, and it has actual live footage of the, the basic of the Simba Rebellion and the fighting in the Congo and some of the the mercenaries who would have been fighting under Mueller and uh, Mad Mike Hor. It's a really good documentary. Largely,
0: it covers uh, five. Either I'm not yeah. sure if it's five two that they're covering. I believe it's Eight Commando that, yes. that they're covering, and yeah. it's the I don't think it's the Stanleyville column. It's the uh, it's the Coke column. Yes. Like they're, they're the yeah. It's anyway
1: really good documentary. Really yeah. cool footage from this war, guys.
0: Yes, definitely check that out. Um, but yeah, yeah, if you have watched those already, like this this book is like the, the book for that. And, uh, yeah. Siegfried Congo Mueller. Siegfried Mueller. Quite the character. Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. The New Mercenaries by Siegfried Mueller. Um, Available on
1: Amazon yes. by Catacomb Archives.
0: And uh, hopefully you are listening to our to this podcast on our website, minimummensstories.com. If you haven't gone there already, please check out our brand new Rhodesian Army Horn Mugs made from domesticated water buffalo. Uh, sweet product that I am really, really enjoying. It's in my leg root. It's like the number one rotation mug I have right now. Um, Made from basically an actual buffalo horn. It's basically just a buffalo horn cut uh, into a, I guess, a third section. And uh, it's got like a tip that's folded over into a nice little handle. Basically, think like Viking drinking horn, but with the flat... In reverse. Yeah, (laughs) in reverse with a a flat drinking surface. So it looks like a normal mug. Yeah. Um, So it's got a hand-carved lion emblem... The, the like basically the emblem of the rhodesian army where it's the lion holding a tusk uh and a pickaxe basically like it, it's it's a lion holding a tusk on yep. basically what looks like a tusk and yep. no, that's kind of can't, can't get elephant tusk but oh, i think extremely illegal yeah <laughs> <is>, water <laughs> buffalo is good enough i think it looks pretty cool yeah uh, i think you guys will like the mug check it out um Still got t-shirts, hats, and all that other stuff. Yeah, hats, posters, patches. You may also check out my ventures, uh, fireforceventures.com. As many of you know, I have been uh, very busy focused on dispatching a lot of the pre-orders from 2021 of Rhodesian Brushstroke and 3-2 Battalion products. So those will be going out, uh, and those will actually be wrapping up hopefully very soon here. Um, but it's still, like, I, gotta, I had to take, make some time for old Bindu, who's, who's also been helping me out and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Special thanks to our Buyers Club listeners. Uh, special thanks as well to Commando Blog, who has hosted us uh, so kindly over yeah. the, the... They've been with us since the start. Yeah, since the year, year and a half or whatever, since we've been going. Almost yep. two years. Yep. So special thanks to them actually I think it's the two year anniversary right now no
1: it's not July no it's uh, late like it's in the fall in the fall yeah we started doing this almost almost
0: two years almost two years they've been with us and um, they are fantastic they also launched their new initiative commando heavy industries which is going to be an actual uh, well cool store I'll leave it at that it's going to sell cool fun things uh, in North, the suburb of North Richlands Hills, which is in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, they'll be opening up their storefront soon, so do check that out. Hopefully that all goes well, because uh, Fire Force Ventures will be linked very intricately with them in the future. Uh, thank you for those of you guys listening, obviously, on the other platforms as well as Spotify, uh, iTunes, uh, Google Play if um you're you're a little confused and you want to find us on a better platform, we're probably already there, so check yep. us out we're we're basically everywhere we're everywhere
1: on most most us. big podcast platforms,
0: yeah, and uh if you do like our work, we are you know always
1: just, accepting donations, yes. well, just yeah. to be blunt about it, yeah.
0: Well, we, you know, we're, we're, we're two nerds that uh, know a lot about history, but, you know, not enough about podcasting yeah. and stuff when we do our best. But uh, if you do enjoy these stories and the Men Among Men stories in particular, yeah. like stories of Congo Mueller that are kind of hard to kind of break down in many ways. Yep. Um, and you enjoy what we do and you enjoy our products, so do consider making a one-time donation or a subscribe star recurring donation at menamongmensstories.com. All the links are available there. Follow yep. uh, Bindu on Instagram at Men Among Men Stories. Follow myself on Instagram. Yeah,
1: we're pretty active at on Instagram. Fireforce
0: yeah. dot Ventures. Uh, special thanks to our Barbers Club. you mentioned Byros Club already. Yeah, I think so. We did. So thank you again, our Byros Club, for the second. They're time. the real MVPs. The real They're men among real men. MVPs. And uh, sh- a special shout out as always to our listeners that are uh, members of the military, active force or reserve force. Law enforcement, paramedics, first responders, dispatchers, bush firefighters, and everybody in between. Thank you so much, guys, for doing what you do so we can do what we do. And, uh, do.
1: So pull up, grab a chibouli, and have a great day, guys.